Well, this last Monday, uh, my wife and I were able to go and watch the Jupiter-Saturn convergence, or what it's convergence, or just where the two planets, they were right over in that area right there where they come together between one degree, 0.1 degree of each other, and it looks like a big giant star. And we were able to look through the telescope at the two planets, Saturn being the one that's farthest away, it's how many miles away? 1.0082 billion miles away. Jupiter is almost half that as close, it's 601 million miles away. And my wife, for the first time, was able to see the rings of Saturn through a telescope. I mean, we've all seen it on computer-generated things, right? We've looked at it. We know it's there. But when you see that for the first time, you're going, wow, that is pretty cool. And then you see Jupiter with its four, four visible moons and just next to each other. And it's just an awesome thing where you can see that. I believe the next time that the convergence will happen is it happens every 20 years. But we can't see it every time. We can't see the convergence as well. The next glorious time, and I'll say that a glorious time that we'll be able to see it well, is 2080. Excuse me, 2080. My grandkids might be around to see that. Maybe. I know I won't be. But the reason I bring this up today is that some were calling this the Christmas star. The Christmas star, of all things. Now, why would they say that? Well, it's close to Christmas, for one. But some believe that, well, maybe this is what the star of Bethlehem was when when Christ was born. Maybe this is what God used to call the wise men there. Well, the reason I bring this up is just because we're talking about the wise men today. They came and they sought the king of the universe in the first century. They're called wise men. And the wise still seek him today. Do you seek him? Do you seek him? Well, we're going to take a look at this familiar story this morning. Excuse me. Well, just a few tidbits of information before we dig in. The passage is found in Matthew chapter 2, and if you could get your devices there or your, your written word, the written Word of God there, it would be appreciated to, so you can follow along. But if I would ask you what a gospel is or what the gospel is, what would you say? It's the good news, exactly. The good news that Jesus came, he lived a perfect life, he died, he was buried, and he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. We found that in 1 Corinthians 15. Now, if I were to ask you what the four Gospels are, what are the four Gospels? And I hope you would say Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Very good. We have somebody here that's tracking with me. That's kind of scary for me that you're the only one in the room, but that's okay. It's all good. Why four? Why four Gospels when one story, one story about Christ, you would think, well, that's enough, right? Well, the story of Jesus was written to different audiences, different people, different people in different phases of life and different locations. I'm going to start with Mark. They were Peter's memoirs, all right? Mark wrote Peter's memoirs from Rome, 
and it was written to a Roman audience, and it was constant action from beginning to end. I mean, it's go immediately, 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 immediately. It was showed Christ as the servant who came to die, to ultimately die. Now, think about that. A Roman would not really think that was something to be placed above. He died for the sins of many. Luke was written to give certainty that Jesus was a man, the historical person of Jesus. He was the answer to the needs and the hopes of the human race. All right, so we can see that. And we've spent most of our time during this Christmas story with the Gospel of Luke. We see, why would a man spend so much time talking about Mary? Well, Luke was wanted to get the human aspect of Christ. The Gospel of John was written to present Jesus as the incarnate Lord, God, come down in the flesh. All the I am statements, all the signs that Jesus did to prove that he was God. I am. Well, the first gospel. What was the first gospel written about? It's the gospel of Matthew. And someone would say, well, what, what, why is this any different than the other? It was written to show Jesus as the legitimate, the long-awaited, royal king of the Jews, the Messiah. A story that I'll, I'll just throw in since Neufeld told one. I was asked one time to be able to uh, talk about the Gospel of Matthew. Connie got me involved with a, with a man who he had a... He was, uh, Gospel on uh, tape, it's not tape anymore, just it was written out so that people could hear it. And he asked, can you comment on this? And I said, I'm going to comment, why did you leave the genealogy out? And he goes, well, the genealogy is boring. I said, you're a Jewish man, aren't you? Yes. I said, that genealogy proves that Jesus is the Messiah. That's why Matthew wrote it. It's written to strengthen the faith of the Jewish Christians and provide an apologetic tool for Jewish evangelism. And knowing this, what, you go, why are you telling me this stuff? Well, because I want to do a seminary thing. No, I did not want to do that. It helps us understand what Matthew is proclaiming and why this story, yes, it did happen. Yes, all the stories of the gospel happened. But why do we have the wise men? Why are they here? Because God orchestrated the happenings of this day and the way that it happened. Now, knowing this, let's take a look at the arrival of the wise man, beginning in Matthew chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. The word of the Lord says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, the wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. Now, you would ask yourself, who are these wise men, also known as magi? Who were these men? And why does it matter that they're in Matthew's account of Jesus' life? Well, answering the question, who are the wise men? They were a priestly political tribe of the Parthians. Now, you'll have a test after this, so make sure that you can answer these questions. The Parthians, they're from northern Persia, all right, northern Persia. Persia. They were powerful, influential men. They were known for being scholarly. They were scholarly. They studied the stars, among other things. They believed and told when that stars believed, they believed that the stars told them that when 
kings would be born. They actually believed that. They were also diplomats. These men were uppity-ups. They had political power and had audiences with theirs and other people's leaders. They had the ears of kings. They swayed kings' decisions. And they were also very, very religious. They were spiritual people. And they were known to practice incantations. They also claimed to be able to interpret dreams. Which brings us back to why we're talking about this. How in the world did these folks get there? Well, the Scripture tells us when we see other wise men in Daniel chapter 2. Daniel chapter 2, where an exile, a forced exile from Judah has taken and been taken into Babylon, where he, the king of Babylon summons the wise men to interpret a troubling dream for him. What, what did I say? Not only just interpret, what was the dream? He called their bluff. What was the dream? They couldn't. These wise men were the same tribe of wise men that came to see Christ. They couldn't, and only Daniel, the one who served the true God, was able to not only interpret the dream, he was able to tell them the dream in Daniel chapter 2. Well, after he had done this, in Daniel chapter 2, verse 48, Nebuchadnezzar, then the king, gave Daniel high honors and many great gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief prefect over the wise men of Babylon. Daniel, this little Jewish boy who is now a man, is over these people. He's over who we are calling the wise men. Amazing stuff. Now, we know from the Scripture that Daniel was a very righteous and godly man. What also do we know about Daniel? He had a lot of guts. He had a lot of intestinal fortitude. Later on, some of the, uh, the men, uh, another group of people, made a law. Daniel, you're not going to pray. Anybody who prays to their God during this time is going to be cast into the den of lions. What did Daniel do? Daniel opened up his curtain and prayed so people could see him. He could have prayed in secret, but he showed, my God is bigger than your God. They tried to throw him to the lions, but the lions weren't hungry that day. Imagine that. History. A Jewish boy is taken from his homeland 580 years or so from the time that the wise men show up by force and becomes the leader of a group of men known as the wise men. Do you think it's an accident? No. Nothing's an accident. Daniel's godly influence and his obedience to the study of the Hebrew Bible had to be a major force behind some of these men from the east. Remember, he was the leader. He saved their bacon. All right? That's a bad word to use for a Jewish boy, isn't it? Sorry. <laughs> he had an influence on these men. Some of them, I sure, I'm sure, followed Daniel's God. Some of them, 
Nah, not so much. I would ask every, every one of you in this room or within the sound of my voice, what's your influence? You have influence. Kyle, you have influence at home and at work. Brad, you have influence at home and at work. Are we being what Jesus would call salt and light to those around you? You want a lasting influence? Daniel's influence lasted way past Christ. They were still doing what Daniel said, or still studying the scriptures who Daniel pointed to, the people in who Daniel pointed to. You hear it often from this pulpit. Church, are you loving your neighbors? Are you? Which include all the people you come into contact with. Does Christ shine? Does he shine? If so, keep it up. If there are changes that need to be made, good a time as any to make those changes. Make the change. Ask Christ to help you to change your heart. So it makes an outward change. It'll overflow into your actions that God will use. Possibly to be like Daniel. How many of you want to be an influence? 10, 20, 30, 580 years from now? Well, back to the wise men. Were all the wise men looking for a star to rise? No, but some were. Just like some are looking for God today, and many are not. They knew the prophecy from Numbers chapter 24, verses 17. This, these are in the Hebrew Scriptures. The prophecy that said, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob. A scepter shall rise out of Israel. So they came to the capital city of Jerusalem. Well, why'd they show up there? Because it was the capital city of Israel. That's where the king was. And the wise men expected the baby boy to be there in the city. They said, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Now, if a Gentile man came to worship the president's son or pay homage to the president's son, that doesn't doesn't seem very godly to say that now, does it? They would show up in Washington, D.C. But no, they showed up in Jerusalem. So the delegation arrives, and the current leader, who was named the king of the Jews, almost 40 years earlier by a foreign government, is disturbed. He's alarmed. He's panicked. Verse 3 tells us, When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. Now we wonder, why was he so troubled? Well, this Herod, also known as Herod the Great, This is free. You're not being charged for this. It's not the same Herod as when Jesus ministered. That was Herod Antipas. Herod was, we could almost say it was his last name, 
This was Herod the Great when Jesus was born. He was a magnificent builder of monuments, even refurbishing the temple. We saw some of that, did we not, Lauren? Some of Herod's, Herod's buildings. But he was maniacal. That's a kind word to say. He was maniacal. He cared nothing about the Lord. It's said of him. He was a heathen in practice and a monster in character. That pretty much describes him. He kept his power by bribing and even more so killing those who he felt were threats to his throne. And even those who weren't threats to his throne. Some of his victims who he had murdered, including, included his brother-in-law. Okay, we get that. Sorry, that, that popped out. His mother-in-law. Oh, the filter's working better now. Okay, it's all good. His favorite wife. Get that, his favorite wife. And her two sons. Another son was killed four days before Herod died. Herod was never really accepted by the Israeli nation. We can understand that. He wasn't a full-blooded Hebrew, but he knew how to wield power, and he kept it by fear. Isn't any wonder why Jerusalem was troubled? Matthew tells us this. And assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people... He inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Now Herod had heard about the coming Messiah. He probably thought it was myth. He didn't care. All he cared was to keep his, his power. But like most people, he really wasn't interested in what God promised or what would come about because of him, but was only interested in the Lord when it suited him or his objectives. Do you know people like that? Can we be people like that? Do we put ourselves at times in front of what the Lord wants, who he is? Times haven't changed. Many people still aren't really interested in the Lord. But have you thought perhaps during these times, we've talked about it over and over and over again, 2020, people are panicked, people are tired, people are frustrated, the year going forward. We have the answer. His name is Christ. He is King. He is joy. He is hope. And if you're in Him, we have all these things. We have the answer to people's angst. The Savior is the answer. Well, anyway, Herod asked the religious elite of the day, of the day to tell him where the Messiah, the Jewish king, would be born. The leaders knew their Hebrew Scriptures. They knew exactly where to look. They knew it backwards and forward. They turned to the book of Micah, which was written before Daniel was even born, 700 years before Christ made an appearance. Ancient history, the past, 
when Micah, when the Lord had used Micah to prophesy against the social injustices that were happening in Judah at the time, the prophet wrote that a ruler would come out of Bethlehem. 700 years. Matthew adds that he would also shepherd his people, a far cry from the current leader who ruled by fear. They look back to understand and find the answer to Herod's questions. And sadly, hear me, the men who should have been expectantly looking forward to the Messiah's birth, let it go. They didn't care. Heard the wise men, this is the answer. And they they didn't even bother to even check out the lead that was only five miles away. They didn't seek him. Church, we're in danger of this. Because I know my heart. We tend to look at things around us instead of looking to Christ. Wise men still seek him. Wise women still seek him. Why didn't the religious men seek him? Were they too busy? Were they scared? Did they have all the spiritual answers? Oh, we love those answers. But where was their heart? Were they believers and followers of God just because they grew up in Judaism? Do I dare ask, are you believers and followers of Christ because you just have grown up in the church? Had they begun just to go through the motions, the leaders who should have been thrilled, it was ho-hum. Eh, whatever. They didn't seek him. Verse 7 tells us, Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I may too may come and worship him. Herod's already planning to rid this threat. He's already planning to kill this baby boy. But he didn't know where the child was located, and it would have been too conspicuous. Well, wise men, let me just send my palace guard with you. They're, they're going to go worship him too. No, the Magi would have been smart enough to see through that. Herod just lies. He lies. Herod was more interested in saving his kingdom than the Messiah saving his soul. Catch that. Catch that. What's your kingdom? Are you interested in just keeping what's your kingdom instead of giving it to Christ? Many people are just like Herod. They think, I'll, I'll live like I want to, and then before it's too late, I'll turn to God. I, I will make that, I'll make that turn when I have to. But we don't know when our day of reckoning will come to pass. Verse 9, 
After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. Unlike the songs that we sang, I think this was the first time that they saw the star since they saw it the first time in Persia. They knew where to go. They knew where to go to Jerusalem. They knew where it was coming out of Israel. They left their home country 900 miles from where they started. These Gentile men from the east truly wanted to pay homage to the ruler that they had learned about from history, what they'd learned from the wise men of God years before. And the same God of Daniel had supernaturally guided them to the child. The prophet Jeremiah declares this truth. Hear this. This is a good promise. You will seek me and find me. When you seek me with all your heart, I will be found by you, declares the Lord. No one has an excuse. Do you want God? He will make his way. He will make himself available to you. He will show you. He's not maniacal. He's not evil. He's good. He's good. These men who didn't truly understand fully who they were coming to worship wanted to find the ruler of Israel with all their heart. And God made a way. And the priests and the scribes, the ones who you would thought would have, would have been on the next horse out of Jerusalem to the five miles to Bethlehem, were asleep in their beds. They weren't drinking of, uh, thinking of sugar plums. But they were asleep in their beds, had no interest in the things of the Lord, only what they could get from the Lord. It was a job. It was respect. They didn't want the Christ. And the Magi, when they saw the star, were almost like a child seeing their daddy come home from work after a long day. Verse 10 tells us, when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Exceedingly. Now, I don't know if they did cartwheels or not, but they were close. They were beyond happy. God was revealing where they should go, down to the exact address. And this was not the Jupiter-Saturn convergence. I believe it was the Shekinah glory of the Lord shining above that house. Verse 11, I'm going to read it very slowly. That is why I believe that these wise men who were who here are early. If you have a, a nativity in your home, you need to have the wise men on the east side of the house coming in later. I know. I don't believe the angels sang either. The angels say, I'm one of those weirdos. And going into the house, not a stable, different word. They saw the child, not an infant, different word. With Mary, his mother. And they fell down and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh, prostate on the ground, face down. 
Not thinking of themselves. Only thinking of that boy that was before them. The Magi, who had the ear of their nation's king, fell flat on the ground in front of the king of kings. They gave him objects befitting of a monarch. Gold. It's the most valuable metal. Frankincense. Pure incense that was used to perfume, was as perfume and on sacred altars. And myrrh. Why would they give myrrh? It's an aromatic substance also used to perfume. But its main purpose is to embalm. All of the items, very costly. All of the items, gifts that a king would receive, and all of these gifts along with the gift of worship. Along with the gift of worship. And think with me, the gift of time that it took these people to travel 900 miles to see the king of kings. The king of Israel, the son of David. Verse 12 tells us, And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. The wise men, the magi, we never hear of them again in the Scriptures. This is the first place in the New Testament and the last place. They're never talked about again. But we still talk about them today, don't we? Every Christmas time we talk about them. And I'll answer the question that I asked earlier at the beginning. I asked who the Magi were, but I wanted to know why the wise men of the East, why are they in this story? Why do they matter? And why does it matter now? Well, I told you before that the wise men were known, what they were known for. They studied stars. They interpreted dreams. They were very religious, but they were also known as one more thing. They were known to be what some call as kingmakers, but you didn't know that, did you? They were called kingmakers. Now, in Persia, a person could not become a king unless he was approved by the Magi. Please don't get me wrong, not that Jesus had to be approved by anybody. But isn't it ironic that Gentile leaders came and proclaimed for the first time before anyone from Israel, anyone, the political leaders from Israel, proclaimed Jesus as king? <laughs> the king of Israel, the son of God, the first men of power. They asked, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? And some three decades later, above a Roman cross, it said this, this is Jesus, the king of the Jews. Ironic? That's why this true story is here. This is why Matthew wrote his gospel to declare that Jesus was and is the rightful heir to the throne of David. And this is why we have this story at Christmas. It's his story. 
It's living history that you and I are a part of today. You are still part of his story. I look at you and see what God is going to do with you, through you, what what he's done for you. What a great God we serve. And just as the wise men sought him, we need to be wise men and women who seek after him with all of our heart. He's still worshiped by the wise. I'll leave you with this question. How will you seek him? It doesn't happen by accident. It takes effort. May we accomplish this by moving forward in our coming days, our weeks, and this year. May we worship Him. May we seek Him. How do we do this? By giving our best. Pray with me. Lord God, we come to you and we ask you to give us the fortitude to seek you. When we need to set aside our wants and our desires. May you be our want and our desire. God, may may you not be an afterthought. May you not be someone we just know from a book. We want to know you better. We want to love you fully. Help us to be wise and to seek after you. I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.